Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 to 12. It can be found on page 1152 on your pew Bibles. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, and will raise up the old age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This passage was written to a confused people. As far as their practice of religion was going, they seemed to be doing everything right. They made the right sacrifices at the right time. They wore the right robes in the temple, they sang the right songs and played the right kind of music in worship. They gave elaborate and massive offerings to God. They made the tithe look like child's play. When the Day of Atonement comes, they cover themselves in ashes and sackcloth to make sure that God sees that they are repenting. They read the Torah every day. They did everything which someone from that culture could have possibly done to make the gods happy with them. And yet, God tells the prophet, to raise his voice to tell Israel of her many sins, like a watchman might blow their trumpet to say that the enemy armies are at the gates. All these other nations don't do half as much as they do for their gods. And yet, the true God, the God of Israel, 
doesn't seem to care. Horror of horrors, the enemies are at the gates. They're ready to kill, burn, and destroy. There's so many of them, and they've conquered everyone. Where is God? What was the point of our worship services? What was the point of reading the Torah and singing the songs and wearing the robes? It's all about to be torn down. Does God have nothing to say about that? Doesn't he at least care about his own temple? We are sometimes confused people, too. As far as our practice of Christianity, it seems like we're doing everything right. We're practicing Ash Wednesday on Valentine's Day, for goodness sake. We come to church wearing the right clothes. We've seen really good music that we practice hard for. We give offerings that are, we are, more, that are more than what we are comfortable with. We read our Bibles, we do our Lent devotionals, we listen to sermons as we drive to work. And yet it doesn't seem like God is near us right now. What more could God ask for? What was the point of reading our Bibles and going to church on Sunday and practicing our really great songs all the time? And the horrifying answer that God gives is this. Talk is cheap. Obedience is costly. Your words and your actions actually need to match up. God says, you spend so much of your life doing the kinds of stuff that make you look like you actually care what I have to say. You read the Bible, you pray, you go to church every Sunday, and then you go home and you oppress the poor and cheat every way you can and do everything for your own sake. He says in verse 2, day after day they seek me out. They are eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right. Isn't it curious? They sure put on a good show of looking like a righteous nation, but they clearly aren't interested in being righteous. So God says, is this what you call a feast, a fast? Is that really what repentance is? Just putting some ashes on your face and looking all sad, but then going home and living your life the same way? And so God makes clear that you can't tell whether a worship service or a prayer or a Bible study was successful or not based on how it went at the moment. It really has nothing to do with that. You can leave this Ash Wednesday service feeling that God really spoke to you. You can be excited to have those ashes on your head as a reminder of your identity as a Christian. But the only way to tell how successful this service was is how you live your life afterwards. Don't settle for being the kind of person who does all the outward stuff that Christians do, but then go home and act completely differently. Don't go to worship and think that everything's all good when you haven't actually changed your behavior. Don't delude yourself into thinking that God is a God who only checks the attendance books of the church and nothing else. So here's what God says a real fast and a real worship service looks like. Go ahead, do the sackcloth and ashes thing. Cry out to God to have mercy. Pray and read the Bible. That's all great. But this is the kind of fasting that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set free the downtrodden, to share your food with the hungry, and to clothe the naked. You've heard the, about the gospel plenty. Now it's time to do something about it. Love your neighbor as yourself, particularly those who have nobody to look out for them. Make sure they receive justice when they go to court. Provide for the needs of those who don't have what they need. Because God is a God who actually cares about justice. He can't be flattered or tricked by false worship services. See, we often focus our attention almost entirely on the tiny little sins we commit. 
I didn't read the Bible yesterday, or I said a bad word when I stubbed my toe, or I cut someone off in traffic. But we don't focus on the huge gaps in the things that we were supposed to do. Love our neighbor, care for the poor, the widow and the orphan. We tend to strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So finally, God says to Israel, if you actually act in line with the gospel and do what I say instead of just listening to an interesting lecture, then things can go so much better. Not only will the enemies be gone from the deeds, but you'll be far more prosperous than you could ever even imagine. God would be with them. Jerusalem would be returned back to its glory days and then some. The same thing is true for ourselves and for our church. God will bless us beyond our imagination if we repent. And this, we know, would be true even with the tiniest ounce of repentance. Just finding one way to work loving others or caring for the poor into your life. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and ready to take your first step of true repentance and empower you to take another and another. He will rush toward you and bless you in ways you can't imagine. So as we take the ashes today in repentance for our sins, let's make sure to truly honor the commitment that we are making. We're committing to actual repentance, to actually turning around and changing our lives, not just taking these ashes lightly and moving on. Because we won't know whether this was an effective worship service until you can look back and say you actually did turn and change your behavior. These ashes are a commitment and a promise that you are making to God just as much as they are a symbol of the repentance in the moment. 